Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 48 of The Audra Show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming back after another lengthy hiatus, which I, of course, blame on myself, but also blame on just not knowing as many interesting people here in Denver (laughs) as I knew in San Francisco. I've been trying to find people here, but uh, we do have some in the uh, queue. So hopefully we'll be uh, getting going again on a more regular basis. I have missed doing it. I still love to do the Audra show and um, yeah, we'll be um, doing more of it. I did also get a little sidetracked by a certain uh, historical event that took place in the fall. You know, I I just can't even get into it at this point. Um, I mean, obviously, if you've only spoken to me or communicated with me on Facebook, you might think that I went a little crazy after the election. I've been called passionate a few times uh, in what I'm not sure was a good way. Some were. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, I I would say I'm passionate about the country. I was passionate about the election. I, I, you know, like a lot of people, definitely did not believe that Trump had a chance in hell of winning. And, um, you know, to be 100% honest, I am not 100% sure he's legit. I do think there is a shot that uh, Russia did interfere in a way that would delegitimize the election, or at least Trump's campaign colluded with them as well in a way that would delegitimize the election. I, of course, could be wrong, but... I mean, I, I've never thought of Trump as anything but funny since he came down that escalator. So um, I would like to go back to finding him just funny and not then terrifying. But, you know, I mean, honestly, that was uh, like part of what my Facebook thing was about. I know a lot of people thought I was being hateful and I was attacking them. And yes, I was very upset <laughs> after the election and... I, you know, may have gone overboard, but I don't think, I really don't think that I ever was attacking anybody on Facebook. My number one thing has been to try and understand people who are are not terrified by a president I'm terrified by. Like, I truly would like somebody to convince me not to be terrified. Um... And I, but I do feel like a lot of it was taken as an attack, but I really, you know... I know that I've tried very hard to convince people about Trump, but it's not because he's a conservative or who, if he is, or he run a, ran as a conservative, it's because I, I think he's a con man. I mean, I think there's very, very much evidence to prove that. And, you know, I mean, that's what I'm trying to convince people of. I'm not trying to convince people to be a progressive liberal just because I'm a progressive liberal. Like, I think we need to communicate I think we do need to make a better effort to try and understand both sides of the story instead of just believing what we believe and not searching out new information, not trying to get a balanced point of view, just, you know, 
gravitating towards the media that agrees with our point of view. We all need to do a better job of that. And that's definitely one of the things that this election taught us. Another one, I think, is just engagement and organizing and being more involved. Because regardless of the outcome of this election, I think that we <laughs> had two terrible candidates that we as an American public deserve. And that was because we've been lethargic and we, we have not been as engaged as we uh, really should be um, to make sure that this country is running smoothly because this is con this country is not about everybody agreeing with one another it is about not agreeing with each other the point is that we're never going to agree with each other but we need to get along it's not two teams the political parties are not mortal enemies they are the offense and the defense they need to work together for the win that's it uh, and, you know, that's all I'll say about that. We'll see what happens. I did uh, speak about the election a little bit with my guest, but um, there were many other interesting things to speak about with him. His name is Trapper Johnson, and we recorded this podcast uh, at the end of January, January 28th, 2017, up in Evergreen, Colorado, where he lives. Uh, Trapper is a former Green Beret. He went to Vietnam at age 19 and uh, became a Green Beret, earned a Bronze Star, and um, we talked a lot about those things, which are just fascinating and amazing stories. And one thing I do have to say is, uh, you know, sometimes in the moment I forget things, I forget to say things to people. And I realized as I was listening back to this uh, episode that I did not ever thank Trapper for his service um, and let him know that he honestly is an American hero, in my opinion, after listening uh, to his story. Um, so I think, uh, you know, hopefully you'll all find that as fascinating as I did. It was a great conversation that actually went on. For about three hours, I, uh, you know, unfortunately had to cut out a lot of interesting stuff, but hopefully it remains interesting. So hopefully you will enjoy that. Today I had my very first snowshoe adventure. Uh, I went up to Rocky Mountain National Park with a new friend of mine and, uh, snowshoed up to Bierstadt Lake. It was exhausting. I'm completely <laughs> exhausted right now and sore. But I did do a little bit of stretching. I probably should do more. I'm going to have to in the next couple of days because I'm sure I'm going to be uh, pretty much unable to walk tomorrow. But it was amazing. What a beautiful day. Beautiful scenery. Rocky Mountain National Park is gorgeous. Uh, so that was a fun way to spend President's Day, not thinking about presidents or presidential things. But once again, thank you for listening to The Audra Show. Please find us on iTunes or Podbean or Facebook. Um, on Twitter, it's at Audra Show. Thank you again. And here it is, episode number 48 of The Audra Show.
do 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 musical interlude we've never met that's correct <laughs> um i got your name from uh a friend of my housemate uh christine and so she thought that you would be an interesting guest and an uh interesting person to to chat with which is what the audra show is all about yes that that, that <laughs> uh I've listened to a couple of your casts, and uh, it's oh interesting. Really? Yeah, it, <laughs> and it's nice to just chat. I'm a yeah. I can be a chatty individual. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I love to chat. It's it's cathartic. It's nice to sit down and have a an interesting conversation with people, you know, that you would never normally have the chance to have. So that's the the sort of mission behind the Audra Show. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Anyway, so given that we've never met. Give me a little bit of a, a synopsis, a little 10-second life story. Um, that never I was turns born out to be on a mayonnaise farm in Pimpleville, Illinois. <laughs> mayonnaise. Um, my fondest that. memories of a childhood is harvesting mayonnaise berries. And if you believe that, I got a few more stories. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Um, now I, w- I was born in the Midwest. Um, I've led kind of an interesting life. I, I had gone through several incarnations. Okay. Um, spent some time in the U.S. military, uh, working in uh, military intelligence. Uh, played in the Southeast Asian War Games. Wow. Kind of probably what we're going to talk a little bit about a some of that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, uh, just trying to figure out when we were talking about maybe doing this kind of how to some of the stuff stories I might tell you and and. and one of the things might, might be interesting to know is just kind of how I got in the military. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Well, I was um, going to, s- I, I lived in northern Illinois, and I was going to school in southern Illinois, and uh, my first love of my life was going to school in uh, the northern part of the state, and the I was going to actually Eastern, Illinois, Eastern Illinois University, <laughs> and um the um, military cr- recruiters, the army recruiters, were on campus, and they were trying to talk to us, trying to uh, rope some guys in. And um, but the deal was, they told me, "Well, we'll send you up to Chicago to take the AFQBT, which is the Armed Forces Qualification Battery Test. There's a different name for it now, but that's what it was then. Okay, it's, it's kind of like an IQ test, sort of see, you know, what you, you know, what you're Your qualified competency to do. level." And well, just like general stuff, you know, general knowledge. I mean, okay. I thought it was very easy. Some people apparently fail it. I don't <laughs> know how they get fail it. It's like, can you say your name? Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those deals. But um, right. so they said, okay, we'll send you up to Chicago to take this test. So I said, cool. So I went up to see it. And my girlfriend at the time, she was going to school just outside of Chicago. So I went up, took the test, went over, visited her. Good weekend. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> And then uh, the semester after that, there was some cutback in scholarship funds, and I was kind of found myself sort of just flowing. I was just out of school, and uh, yeah, I was. I went to college at sixteen because I had a late birthday, um, and I graduated a year earlier. Okay, so and high IQ, as we've established. Well, maybe <laughs> uh, that, that, I don't know if IQ is necessarily measured. Uh, of, of gray matter, but I'd like to think maybe that's a little indication. bit. I like to think maybe I'm smarter than the average bear, but you know, then about the time I think that, I get knocked <laughs> for a loop on something. You know how that happens. You know, you get knocked down a peg, but 
Yeah, um, well, that doesn't mean you're not. Well, I found myself at loose ends, and I was at home living with my dad again and trying to figure out what to do, and the every recruiter called me up and said, listen, I want to talk to you, why don't we have a chat? And I said, look, I'm not going to join the Army. And he goes, well, I need somebody to take lunch on my expense account. <laughs> and just come down, we'll have some lunch, we'll, we'll BS for a while. And um, I said, all right. So we met up, and you know, it's kind of like a car salesman. They put the clothes on you, you know, <laughs> and they're trying to yeah. close a deal. And, yeah. and I don't know if you've bought many used cars, but they always do that. I've, I've bought uh, new cars, and they do that. Yeah, it's yeah. It, terrible. If I can, will you? <laughs> that that line, I, I don't know how many times I've heard that over the years. But, um, oh, God. I'm sure it's been battle-tested. So it got down to the point where I was trying to get the guy off my back. Okay. And I said, okay, here's the deal. If you could get me in today, this was like noon, <laughs> with a – Airborne, which is um, paratroopers, and I've you know, but you know, there's only two things that fall out of the sky: bird shit and fools. <laughs> so, um, if so you can get me in today with an airborne guarantee, I will go. What made you say that? Were you just trying to call his bluff? Well, I or? figured it was too hard to do. I, yeah, I, I was like, because <laughs> airborne was elite at that time, okay. and it's always been elite. Uh, I mean, back to when it was really formed, uh, 101st Airborne, the 82nd Airborne, yeah. were one of the first people to really jump out of planes. Uh, very famous in World War II, a couple of big battles, uh, the Siege of Bastogne, where they were uh, completely surrounded by the, the Germans in France uh, yeah. during the Battle of the Bulge in a in brutal, brutal winter. Yeah. And uh, the... The Luftwaffe general, or the uh, Wehrmacht general, said, "You know, you must surrender." And and the uh, the American general said back to him, "Nuts." <laughs> and that's been a famous military line: "Is nuts." <laughs> so, um, so I said, "I'll go if you can get me in an airborne." Okay. And went home, was kicking back, thinking, <laughs> "Okay, this guy's done." And about two hours later, he goes, uh, "Get your shit together. You've got to be wow. on a bus to Chicago." <laughs> And bus to Chicago, airplane to Fort Dix, New Jersey, and, and a year of training. And wait, so wait, what did you do when he said that? You were expecting him to go away, and all of a sudden, well, I thought he'd go away for a while. I mean, for a while at least. You know, yeah. just to get him. I was trying to get out of the restaurant. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like, again it's the used car thing when right. you're trying to walk out of the door, and they're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait. So, uh. <laughs> And, uh, you know, when, when he told me I was going, I got thinking about it. Well, you know, I, I, at the moment, I'm kind of at loose ends. Yeah. Um, Why not? I didn't know what I was going to do. I was one of my first jobs I ever had. I was a cook in a Howard Johnson's restaurant when I was, when I was 16. Okay. And so I was working, you know, as a cook again in a, <laughs> in a, in a, in a restaurant, in like a Denny's. I mean, you know, it's like... You know, trying to figure out what life is about. So right. I decided to go off. And um, because I scored highly on the AFQBT, they, uh, I was qualified for a bunch of stuff. So yeah, they trained me as a, a, a medic and a light weapons specialist. Oh, wow. Which means that's, I think, up to about a 50 caliber. You're uh, 
I was a shooter. Okay. Um, but primarily, I was a medic. Um, we worked a lot with uh, on small teams, uh, small squad tactics. Yeah. That was coming out. This was towards the end of the Southeast Asian War Games or Vietnam. Okay. We lovely call it, but I always call right. the Southeast Asian War Games because it was more than just Vietnam. Right. Um, which we could go into that a little bit uh, later. I'll right. Tell you where I ended up. So. So um, how old were you when you entered? I had to have my dad sign for me, so I was 17. Oh, wow. Um, but it was, I was going to be 18 in like two weeks, so he oh. had to sign. Right. And I went off, and then I spent a year in training, so I was just shy of, of 19 when I ended up in, in Vietnam. beautiful, uh, the garden country of Vietnam, which actually is a very beautiful country, and people are going back now to visit. Uh, amazing yeah. surfing. Uh, then it wasn't so much of a garden spot, you know, with the, <laughs> Right. You know, with, with bombs and stuff going off, but um, yeah. So what what year was it when you got? Over I was there, there in uh, late seventy one. Oh, okay. Early seventy two. So it'd been going on for a while. It'd be going on. It was winding down. It wound down about seventy four. Okay. Um. You know, it, it, it's so funny. So many people think that Vietnam was about the curbing of communism. Yeah. And all that stuff, and it wasn't. Um, it was about oil. Uh, always. <laughs> the uh, Gulf of Tonkin supposedly had huge oil reserves. Um, there was Shell Oil was exploring there, and a lot of other people were exploring there, and they thought it had all the geological characteristics of having oil. And then the fields played out pretty quickly after the uh, after they really started getting work. But they, you know, just like the. Yeah, the Middle East, a lot about oil, a lot right. about, you know, resources. And there's a lot of natural resources. Uh, all of Vietnam's always been, that whole area into China has always been historically uh, rubber, um, a lot of a lot of major resources in there. Um, right. So when the Vietnam War started, I mean, I don't really know a lot about it. I was born in 1970. So... I guess I don't know if we can put this in a nutshell, but well, <laughs> the yeah, U.S. government was saying it was to defeat communism. Well, that was that was kind of the kind of the party line, but they um, the area was becoming unstable. Um, there were, you know, this was kind of post McCarthy era, okay, where there was a lot of communism was the new evil. Um, the Chinese were, you know, pretty close in the area. Um, there was a certain amount of fear in that. Um, okay. The French were having problems. Um, the region was heavily destabilized. Um, at one point in time, our government, even through the agency, uh, was involved in an assassination of one of the leaders to put in a new sort of puppet regime. Okay. So we, uh, this is... Yeah. This is one of the, the things that eventually led to the CIA not being able to, to, to do assassinations of government leaders, as like they attempted with Cuba. Right. So, so what do you, what do you, they were allowed? That, well, before that, they actually, it was, it was protocol. Oh. If, if you didn't like who was running the country, you just sort of destabilized it. And you found some screwhead, you throw him in and say, hey, right. this is our guy. And they put in a guy by the name of Key later on, and and he was, he was an evil individual, and and uh, yeah, a lot of atrocities and a lot of strange stuff. But he, 
it was our, he was our guy. And but why was he our guy if he was evil? Then he, you know, <laughs> that's, know a, that's a good, well, I mean, <laughs> I know these, these are big okay, questions. Okay, we'll, we'll talk history all over the place. You can talk about Pinochet, which we put into power in, in, uh, in South America. A lot of different dictators we put into power because they thought they could control them. Oh. And, you know. We right. could take a megalomaniac and put him into power, which we're going to soon learn about with <laughs> Mr. Trump. Yes. Um, <laughs> things get have. weird, you right. know, and they right. – uh, things get weirder and weirder. And that was how intelligence seemed to work for a while. Um, intelligence communities – it started a lot with the, with the British because they were really big on, on maneuvering behind the scenes and – right. Plots within plots within plots and stuff like that. So, and the American people, we were told it was about communism. And there was this whole, what they called the domino theory. Yeah. Where if Vietnam fell, then the next thing fell, and all the way down, and all of Asia would fall to the communists. And, and so we had to go stop it. Well, yeah, we got to stop it. They don't really, communism was, you know, was. The, the great evil, you know, we could call yeah. it uh, like saying somebody's a pedophile, you're a communist. Right. You know, right. oh, I'm a communist, oh my <laughs> God, you know. And, and, it, and if you look at true communism, it's not a bad thing necessarily, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, the, ide the idea, the, the, the brain idea of being, you know, each to their needs and, you know, everybody's equal, but, you right. know, unfortunately human nature <laughs> yeah, doesn't go way. with ideals i mean i think that i mean we learn that all the time and that, that right you yeah. know and, and dualities of things i mean and that's a lot you know and i was thinking about what we might talk about is maybe talk a little bit about dualities in life yeah of how there's two things going on and everything you know well actually there's probably more than that but you can always almost in any sort of interaction in the world you can see kind of two things going on but you know right the microcosm, the macrocosm, however you want to call it. But yeah, yeah, and I think some people choose to exploit that <laughs> fact, um, you know, which, you know, that that's the whole thing that's interesting about today and the whole idea of, like, alternative facts. It's like, aren't, haven't we always had alternative facts now that it's just out in the open in there, you know, blatantly? You know, but the, the, the problem with your alternative facts is – they don't work in the U.S. because the, one of the first things we guaranteed was, was freedom of the press. Right. And if you're telling me i got to believe in alternative facts or even transmit alternative facts, then you're trying to control the press. And that's, you know, one of our checks and balances. And one of the things that kind of makes America great is the ability to sort of pick it itself. And, and, uh, and I mean, you look at uh, – Watergate and all these other things over the years where journalists had found the evil that lied behind the stuff. I mean, right. Yeah, and it's sad to think that, that the uh, this new government's going to control it. I don't yeah. personally, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, I don't think it, I, I mean, hopefully, hopefully you're right. And, uh, you know, and I mean, there's too much. Truthfully, I didn't like Hillary very much. Um, yeah. No, I didn't either. You know, it, and had it not been for who the Republicans ran. I might have voted Republican for the first time in a lot of years. 
<laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Well, you know, because uh, she's, uh, she's not the best gal. She's done some scary stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was not looking forward to having the Clintons back in the White House and just with all the sort of shadiness that has gone on there. But, yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine putting Trump into <laughs> into power. You know, like and, many I, people. and I mean, the whole time this was going on, I was thinking, you know, this gets started as a lark, and there, there's some Trump handler going, holy shit, this guy's going to get elected. What did we do here, yeah. you know? Do, 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 new topic sound effect. The problem with, with you know, my my military stuff is, is it kind of made me a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, well, that's kind of the issue with it, isn't it? With uh, uh, Part of it, you know, but just uh, we used to do a thing called the halos. Okay. High altitude, low opening, where you jump out. 30,000 feet with oxygen, you free fall for about two and a half minutes, and you open at 500 feet. Wow. So, uh, big adrenaline. Oh, my God, 500 feet. I, yeah, I mean, that's when the chute would open, and it was because, the and they kicked you out of the aircraft at full speed. They didn't slow down the aircraft because this was for inserting operatives behind enemy lines, and if they slowed down the aircraft, it would show on right. radar. So, so they, full speed. So full speed, 500 knots, you go out the back of the bird. And how, do you, how do you train for that? Do they let you do tandem ones in the beginning? Well, no, the first time you no. just jump. They uh, static line. Oh, okay. Um, it's out of a C-130, which is, uh, the, you see a lot of their firefighter aircraft. It's the four propellers. So um, C-130 Hercules, it has a uh, ramp in the back. Oh. And um, they call it assholes and elbows. They just line everybody up. And they just kind of push out the aircraft and wow. static line jumps and it, it opens your chute for you, um, opens oh, okay. your main chute. Now, now, you did have a secondary reserve if it, you know, the main malfunction. I never had a main chute malfunction myself. Okay. Um, Sounds good. Some, some guys did. If they got a reserve, usually they were okay. And occasionally, people would bounce. Oh, wow. They called it bouncing because when the human body hits... At high speed, at terminal velocity, it kind of compresses and then uncompresses and it bounces about two foot off the ground. Oh, wow. So if you uh, made a bad landing, you bounced. Oh, geez. Yeah, and it, it rarely happened, but it, you know, it does happen on occasion. Right. Know. So how many jumps did you have? Do you um, think? Well, probably about 50 total. Okay. Mostly in training. Um, the... Uh, United States has not mounted it since World War II, a true airborne operation, okay. uh, where a, a large group of individuals jumped out of aircraft. Um, they did a small one during Vietnam, and they've done a lot of like special forces, uh, special ops stuff right. in Afghanistan and other places, but mostly now they're inserted either uh, through helicopters. Um, uh, the SEAL teams are well known for swimming ashore and different things. Right. Um, so they, it's it's different ways of getting into combat settings, but but back, uh, the first one of the major ones where they uh, they jumped out was during D Day, yeah, and uh, it was a large fiasco. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? The hundred uh, first and the eighty second Airborne were spread all over the place. Um, there's a, a Mary Saint in Glace was a, a French town where where. They just dropped in on top of the the um, the German army and and got slaughtered. 
Oh, wow. Um, it was uh, not one of the best operations, but, you know, it's kind of where the, the 101st and the 82nd sort of made their history and, and became the— yeah. Became the the gang of the, that that was well known. I mean, it was, you know, and then it was not even really hardly known as a thing to do. I mean, just right. generally parachuting. I mean, yeah. they've been doing it since you know, the eighteen hundreds. You know, out of balloons, but it was not a true military tactic. Um, the uh, the Germans did a little bit during the Blitzkrieg and stuff, and they were they were they brought airborne troops in. You know, when they were trying to get a when they the Blitzkrieg or the Lightning War. So does the Airborne still exist then? Yeah. 82nd is around. Okay. Um, the 101st is around. Uh, those are the two big ones. Uh, 82nd yeah. is out of Bedding and Bragg. They've been in Afghanistan. Um, they've been all over the Middle East. They've been, you know, in, in, in the new wars. Um, so is the Airborne the same as Special Forces, the same as well, Green Beret? To get into Special Forces, usually you have to go through Airborne. Okay. Um. Usually the progression for a Green Beret would be to start out in Airborne, then you get a Ranger, and then um, from the, the, the best of the Rangers is selected to be the best uh, to go into to the Special Forces team, like the Green Beret teams or the SEAL teams. Okay. Um, eventually, I was able to earn a Green Beret, but that was only because they were short people at that time. And it wasn't I don't know. You keep selling yourself short. Well... <laughs> I don't think I could make it today. I mean, because it's a lot—it's a lot tougher and a lot than it was. It was wow. tough, but it wasn't. I guess it was pretty tough. I think it must have been pretty tough. You know, I, I read a lot of military history, and I you know I read about the new training in it, and it's a lot more psychologically intense than it was then. Yeah. Um, How so? They they try to make you break you down. They try to make you quit. Uh, I think called your drop-on request. They want you to, you know, trying to strengthen your your I mean, stamina yeah. and your re- resolve. I guess mostly or? the resolve. Mostly, and I mean, if you look, you look at the guys that are in seals. You look at guys in special forces. They're not the big giant buff guys. I mean, they're yeah. well built and stuff like that. But they're not, you know, a lot of the football uh, linebackers and stuff like that. They go, oh, I'm going to be in special forces. Right. They can't make it because they don't have the the mental toughness. Yeah, and you know that's the hard thing I think sometimes is the mental toughness. I mean, you can physically train anybody to do anything. Right. You know, enough push-ups, enough pull-ups, enough running. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even even to qualify for it, qualify for airborne, the uh, the last run is a 15-mile run. Yeah. And the last about a mile and a half of it is called a cardiac hill, which is and you're you're humping a sixty pound rock, yeah. And uh, your, your weapon, and you know, pretty much everybody pukes at the top. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, yeah. and it it was a tough run. You know, I mean, it, right. But yeah, you know, we. I, it's one of those things. You, you, there just was no option. You did what you were supposed to do. I mean, I I think I yeah. was brought up with that. I I probably had a little bit of the John Wayne syndrome. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, the mental toughness is a is a good thing. I don't know, um, you know, I mean, up to a certain point, I think that, you know, obviously being somebody who has not been in the military or been in combat, I mean, I, I don't see how you would come away from that with, you know, no sort of mental, emotional scars. 
And, you know, I'm not sure if that's ever going to be preventable in the way that sometimes it seems like the military would like it to be. But it does give me a different sort of perspective sometimes, too. Because my lovely wife um, was a panicky sort of gal when we were first together. (laughs) When something went wrong, she would panic about stuff. Yeah. And I used to always like to say, anybody dead? Yeah. Because if nobody's dead, we don't have a problem. <laughs> That's what I, I can, said all through I my advertising fix career. Anything but dead, you know? Yeah. I mean, if people are <laughs> dead, ain't so easy to fix. Yeah, that's true. I spent a long time in marketing and advertising saying that. Is anyone dead? All right, then there's only so stressed out I can be about this. So you're a Mrs. Madman <laughs> or Ms. Madman. Sort of, yeah. yeah the, uh, I was. Good hype. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's psychological um, warfare in a sense. Yes, definitely could be. Um, but anyway, so you started out as a medic. So that was in the Airborne? So yeah, well, I was trained. You're, tra- you're training as... Yeah, part of my training, they, they yeah, what's called an MOS, Military Occupational Specialty. Okay. So one of the things I would love to bravo up was infantry and Airborne and things like that. And then I was also medic trained. So they they want everybody to have their, like, specialties within specialties. Okay. So, you know, so... So even when you were a medic, you were still trained to be... I was was, was also trained as a shooter, but I was, you know, we were operating. But if somebody got hit, I could could primarily operate like that. And, you know, and and we did, you know, that gave me... um, Because you get get medics. I mean, that's what it amounts to always in, in the small, especially in small squad operations. Yeah. And usually they'll have people cross-trained. They'll have one primary and secondary, and they'll be cross-trained to do two things. Right. So that if one guy gets hit, the other guy can cover. Okay. So you and you, it made you seem a little less uh, as a killer, possibly. You know, I mean, at least I can. Right. But you still, I mean, it's not, it's not that hard to pull the trigger. It's just hard to think about it after. Yeah, you know, and if you're trained to do it, and that's about character and being able to do what you need to do in the moment, right? And you know, and the, you know, we were talking about the reality. You look at the people that that win medals. They're not the most biggest guy. They're not the 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 craziest guy. They're not the, right. the guy who, in a moment of decision, made a tough choice and chose his own life or his own well-being above that of the other people and you know and, right. and chose to do something that human beings are you know, i mean our, our, what's our number one thing is self-preservation right you know people that you, know, you want to be preserved yourself so you want to step out and that's when you find the people that that win medals and the people that you know that right and i didn't get a medal so i, I shouldn't say that but <laughs> yes you should but you that should. was only because i had to do something you know I was thrown into a situation. So. Where you had to make that decision. Well, I didn't have to. I mean, there was no decision to make at the moment. So, so I'll tell you that story. Okay, great. We were, uh, <laughs> we were doing a thing called Hearts and Minds. Okay. And I don't know if you've ever heard there's, a, there's an old military saying, when you got them by the balls, their hearts and minds will follow. Okay. Um. For a long time, I thought that was attributed to General Westmoreland, which was the, the head of uh, the operations of Vietnam. But it, 
Turns out it was Teddy Roosevelt said that. Really? Which, uh, yeah, that kind of amazed me. I, I actually I looked that up today because I'm thinking, who originally said that? I, I think I knew it was Westmoreland, but it, it amazed yeah. me when I read that. But And it's basically psych ops where you're, where you're trying to get the indigenous people. Um, you wanted them on your side. Um, okay. We were doing what they called hearts and minds. We were inoculating kids. They, they would fly us in on a, on a um, Huey helicopter, H-U-1A, Huey Bell helicopter, and we would uh, inoculate kids. We'd hand out some food. We'd do about 15 minutes of help in an area that probably needed about 15 years of help. Right. You know, but it yeah. was band-aids on, on you know on gaping wounds but right um and we were returning from we we just completed that mission we were headed we were going to head back to base and there was a we got a, a radio call that there was a downed aircraft and we were going to go in and try the pilot was dead we'd heard but they were trying to get uh, there was some intelligence on the aircraft that they wanted this is a this is u.s yeah, it, it was a, um, a uh, uh, they had it, it was an F-4 Phantoms that they flew um, photo missions over certain areas and um, okay. it had been shot down and we were supposed to go in. They thought the pilot was dead, but they were pretty sure the pilot was dead. And we were, get the pilot if we could, if not, uh, if not, we were going to get the films. Okay. So we were, and it was supposed to have been what they call a, a cold LZ, a cold landing zone. There wasn't supposed to be enemy opposition. Okay. It was, um, I didn't like helicopter, coming in on helicopters, I, because I always felt they were a big, slow-moving target. Right, yeah. That's and I had a, a buddy, good old guy, and we called him Boston Bab. <laughs> and he was, um, he was one of these habit kind of, you know, kind of a Southie kind of guy, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Bastin Bab, that but a hab in the yard, you know, and he, uh, we, he and I both hated it. So we would always be out on the skid of the helicopter, and as soon as it was close as we could have gone, we jumped off. Yeah. And in this particular instance, the aircraft was coming inbound, and an RPG with a rocket propelled grenade came from the from the tree line and oh. hit the bird. Okay. Everybody else perished except Bob and I because we were on the ground. Oh, my gosh. Um, we were thrown maybe 40 feet from the concussion. How uh, many people were on? Uh, there was eight guys in the team and uh, two pilots and two door gunners. Wow. So everybody went down there, and, and I knew they were dead. Yeah. I mean, there was no – it was a fireball, basically. Oh, my gosh. Um, Bass and Bab had a broken ankle. Yeah. Um, I was just – I ended up, it turns out I had a couple broken ribs and a concussion, but yeah. you know, at the time I didn't, you know, I was just kind of knocked for a loop. Right. We spent 11 days escaping evading, um, which is just basically rolling through the jungle, trying to get to back to enemy lines. We were a little bit north. Okay. So we were up towards basically almost North Vietnam when this was going on. So you were just on your own for 11 days? Really? Yeah, we were. No, I mean, they didn't even know where the team was. They thought the team was dead. Oh, okay. We finally managed to hook up with an, um, an Arbon unit, which was the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, which was the South Vietnamese Army. Okay. And then they got us back to our, uh, back to our units and, and such. Wow. But we were carried 
You know, they thought we were all killed in action on that egg. But wow. It, uh, we lived on grubs. We traveled uh, at night, hunkered down during the day. Yeah. Um, Did you I have any my, confrontations? Uh, with? No, I, I tried not to in that situation. Because, right. Because, you know, you don't. Right. You know, this is living under the living under the radar. They yeah. and they teach you escape and evasion in in one of the classes yeah. that they give you. You know, is, is escape and evasion. They give it almost all of the uh, all of the military, all the army guys uh, at least. Uh, right. Almost all military gets some escape and evasion training. The idea that you're going to get captured and right. It's always funny to see the guys. Oh, I'll never give up information. No, you're going to give up information if you get caught. It's just a question of when. <laughs> Right, you know, people will succumb to torture. Yeah, you know, torture works to make people talk. It just doesn't work to make them tell the truth because oh. you'll say anything at a point. So they'll say something. So they'll you'll say anything to stop it. You know, what do you want to hear? I mean, there's a. You're not advocating for torture, are you? Um, no, I don't believe it works as effective intelligence tool because it's the the intelligence you get is is usually, for the most part, not reliable. Right. I mean, I wouldn't have, I don't think I'd have a problem with it if it worked. If it could, if it could prove that it saved lives, but it doesn't. It's just a waste. Yeah. You know, it's a waste of time. And, and. But you're saying it works. So you're going to, you're going to talk eventually. Yeah, but you're not going to tell you, but you're, you're not, not going to give the intel. You're, it is right. 99% of the time, it's the intel proves to be flawed. Okay. Because, uh, and even what they do get, I mean, I mean, it's a cost-benefit ratio. I don't, I right. don't think it's worth the price that you pay. Um, yeah. You know, and I don't think it's worth the price that you're going to pay for the people that you make do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably very true. You know, because you've got to find somebody that's going to, I mean, it's going to screw up your head if you, if you're doing this stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and. And, you know, I thought about this a lot. I mean, is it... I'm sure. You know, because I... Were you ever tortured? Not in the true sense of being tortured. I mean, I was never captured and tortured. I was tortured by, you know, the the some of our training they tortured us because they were trying to give us a little taste of that. Right, right. And then later on, I got to be sort of the torturer for a little while because I really? was... Towards the end of my time, when I, before I got out, I, I worked as in teaching part of the escape and evasion school. Oh. And we used to take the uh, West Point cadets and bring them in, and we'd, we'd chase them through the woods and, and do a little bit of light torture. Right. We'd throw them in a pit of water, and, you know, and yeah. just say, just tell me your mom's name. Tell me your mom's name, because you're only supposed to say name right and serial number. Just tell me your mom's name. You get a cup of hot cup of coffee, you could be out of here. And, you know, if they gave it up, it wasn't a good thing. You know, and we... Right. It was to simulate a little bit of torture, right, you, know, right. to, you know, to make, and you'd like to think that people hold out, you know, I mean, it, it but, I mean, but in CIA training, they tell you, you know, you're going to give it up, you're going right. to, so don't get caught, that's the rule, <laughs> don't get caught, if you get caught, yeah, you know, it, you're kind of on your own to a certain degree, and I mean, that's, the stars on the wall at Langley are all about the people that, a lot of them that got caught. Yeah, and they're not even names; they're just stars on the wall. Because if you know their names were given up, then there'd be a lot of you know things could be corrupted, a lot of operations. Right. Yeah, you know, and we're still you know operating networks and stuff. But 
I mean, it's it's hard to to do espionage. So let's uh, let's take a step back to okay. the uh, sure. the eleven days you were escaping and evading. We didn't get to uh, the the Shh. the end of that story. That was yeah, well, a duality. Okay. Well, the yeah. other stop it. Uh, listen, my dog on the side here. She um, wants she wants to come in. Do you have commentary? She's just scary. What do you want to say? What do you want to tell him? Um, we we basically crawled through the jungle. Um, most of the time, I had to keep my buddy snowed on morphine. Oh, okay. Um, because he was he would have made noise. Yeah. Um, because he had a the serious, really he had a compound fracture of his ankle, which where the bone sticks out. No. So he couldn't even really walk through the jungle. I, I slept his ass. Oh, wow. Um, basically, I, I drug his ass out of there. And uh, and now Boston Bob is works for Homeland Security. Uh, but oh, really? <laughs> on kind of a sort of a covert kind of way. But uh, he ended up staying in intelligence and going off his intelligence community. Oh, wow. I... Uh, I got done with war, and I was like, you know, this, I don't like this game. I'm going to take my ball and go home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is uh, – it, it, it caused you to think about too many things. Yeah. You know, but um, the strange thing was after this ball, you know, we spent all this time crawling out of the jungle, and, and they decided to give me a medal. For, for the 11 days? Yeah, they gave me a bronze star for that, for carrying this guy out. Yeah. Um, well, that seems like it was well-deserved. But it it was another train thing from the end of it is, is that during the time when my dad had passed. Okay. And my mom had passed when I was young, so I was basically an orphan. I don't know. It's hard to think of an orphan, though, when you're, you know, you're basically yeah. a man, but I was an orphan. Yeah. Um, they came to me and offered me a strange gig. Okay. Um, they asked me if I wanted to go and worked for an OGA, other government agency. Oh. That's where I got into intelligence. OGA. Um, so I ended up with a French uniform, a Swedish weapon, a Belgian sidearm, and a Soviet medical kit. <laughs> Not, no American ID, and they carried me as killed in action. Wow. And I spent a year kind of diddy-bobbing around Laos and Cambodia looking for what they called the Bamboo Pentagon. Okay. Um, Richard Nixon and Kissinger and these guys, they all believed there was a bamboo pentagon. And that was where the enemy was being controlled of. And if we could destroy the bamboo pentagon, we would destroy the infrastructure of the North Vietnamese and we would destroy their will to preserve, their will to fight. Okay. And, you know, we control their operational military. It was right. a myth. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where they got the idea, but it's, you know, somebody you know, went across on a memo on somebody's desk, and I don't know. Uh, the government is interesting. Memos <laughs> can take on lives of themselves. Somebody mentions something in, in a, a, a memo, just like a throwaway statement. Right. And it becomes the word of God. Oh, God. I, I have the word of God that's got to be there, you know, and, and they uh, – and people's lives are changed and forever. They, they sent us out to do this. And so we spent, that was about nine and a half months in the bush, just me and another guy schlepping around, blowing up stuff, basically. We were controlling, eh, I'm a 19-year-old guy with uh, 
million dollars worth of ordnance in my hands. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, little boys with fireworks. Right. right. I mean, we're going to blow shit up. You know, I mean, it's like we could. Yeah. So I could call in airstrikes. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, and you're, you're technically dead in the eyes of the government. Well, I'm, I'm not in the eyes of the government, but I'm carried as killed in action. So it's one okay. of those, uh, I was a mercenary in essence. Okay. Uh, because the plausible deniability. Because at the time uh, they yeah. were making, government was making statements, we had no American troops in that area, in being, or in uh, Cambodia and Laos, and we did. Right. We had a lot of special ops. Um, so they were all classified as killed in action. There were some guys doing what they called works, long-range reconnaissance patrols. Okay. Um, there was a lot of this kind of stuff going on. It was spooks. Um, we had a, a whole... Uh, it's a company called Air America, which was uh, oh, yeah. basically an air force that was CIA. They were running uh, like you know, a secret the, air force. Pretty much secret air force. Huge amounts of, of weapons. Of uh, They were also rolling a lot of uh, opium. Uh, a lot of uh, drugs were to support their their efforts in that area. To give to, to locals? and to Well, get... they were buying it from locals. And they were you know selling it out. Oh. I mean, even... Uh, I mean, that was a weird thing as medics. For a while, there was such a uh, heroin problem that they took the um, morphine away from the medics. Oh, really? So they took a lot of the morphine away because so they, they said it was being abused, but it wasn't the morphine that was being abused. You know, it was heroin. And, and so, I mean, I actually was buying heroin and had it, you know, we carried our medical kits yeah. on the sly in case somebody got hit and they needed it. You know, oh, so, really? You know, because if somebody got hurt bad, you want to be able to... Uh, it's called snow up, which you just you know just dump so the snow on them and they just kind of slip away. I mean, and then but then get addicted to heroin. Well, no, I mean this was more like if somebody was hurt. Yeah, you know, and and you just want to you just want to hit them with that. But I um I never liked heroin. I I, I can't <laughs> stand it. I have, yeah I tried smoking it once and it was like yeah I didn't I got sick and yeah you know, just what even happened like I swimming don't... in glue and. <laughs> I just, you know, was not. What do you even? What do you do? You have like a high where you're running around when you do heroin, or is it no, just heroin? Like you just lay, yeah. lay down. And you just—it's like uh, I don't even. It's know. like sleep. I mean, you. It's well. It goes back to kind of the um, they used to call it chasing the dragon. You just kind yeah. of like, you know, and you're just kind of like, in this kind of like soft kind of cotton kind of, but. But you're just kind of laying around. You're yeah, not you're like just laying around. Like, uh, you know, but I mean, but you can become a functional heroin addict and use it more and more, you know, and it, yeah. and it just kind of, it does take the edge off your emotions. And a lot of guys, you know, needed that because right. it's it's sometimes hard to do, you know, this stuff. And especially when, <laughs> I can't you know, that towards, the, towards the end of Southeast Asia, that people weren't supporting Right, you know, you didn't feel that it was a righteous cause. I mean, World War Two, you felt it was righteous. Right, right. Korea started getting borderline, <laughs> you know, but still, you felt righteous. We're Americans. We're doing the right thing, you know. We're yeah. But well, speak. You I know, mean, lines got blurred. Right, really blurred. Oh, and that goes back to you know, yeah, that duality. It's like here you are, you're a 19 year old with with a huge amount of powerful weapons that you're just all juiced up and want to use, and you know, uh, on an emotional level, just want to be but, able to to deploy those weapons. And then, 
And then you're saying, but it's not even for a good cause. I'm doing it for America, but, but do then, I believe uh, in but it? Then I started, we started realizing what was going on. We started using to a certain amount of good causes for um, yeah. some of the Cambodian indigenous people. You know, they uh, needed to clear forests for, their, to, for more farming land. Right. So we'd clear the people out of the area, and I'd call it a strike. Yeah. And we just blow up the jungle, and they flip off the wood, and they, you know. <laughs> there you go. And they, um, that's a good. We a had good some, we had it. some interesting times. Um, yeah, I mean, what were what? How did you? How how do you even survive that? I mean, I mean, well, you know, you know there, there's, heroin is one of the ways. Yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a, a specter that was around. But um, another strange sort of funny story. Um, we had uh, there was a thing in in, in the area that was called punji sticks. Which yeah. basically was a piece of metal. You know, they they used to have, a lot of times they would cut them out of like crashed helicopters and, and crashed aircraft. Okay. And it would look like a giant, like a big fish hook. Okay. They would dip it in human excrement and every nasty thing you can imagine, and they would put them along the side of a trail. Okay. And so when people were walking, they would step up. <clears throat> and um. <laughs> Basically, it, it was, I mean, they still use this sort of stuff in almost any kind of guerrilla warfare. It's one of the tricks you can use is the, these type of spikes and things like that. Yeah. Um, but we were working with the indigenous tribe there, and um, one of the chief's kids stepped on one of these. Now, okay. normally, they would either lose a foot or they would die. Okay. Because from the, just from the rampant infection. Yeah. I was there when it happened. I had some penicillin, I debrided the wound, we kept it clean, and I, I saved this kid's life. Okay. Maybe, probably. At least for that day. Now the chief, uh, or one of the village elders, as a, because he's so happy that I saved his son, because you know, yeah, one of these male child kind of things, you know, being. <laughs> right, um, only heir. He wants to give me one of his daughters <laughs> as a gift. Okay. For saving the sun. <laughs> Mountain yard women are about four foot tall. Um, they pretty much have no teeth because of the, because of the, the bad dental health. Um, okay. Their face is red. They eat beetle nuts, which is a type of narcotic. Oh, really? So, I mean, they're, they're, they're not pretty. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know? They're not pretty. I mean, yeah. Um, All right. And... Uh, I had to go through this whole thanks but no thanks dance. Um, yeah. Too great of a gift, da 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 and Yeah, and not disrespect him. Yeah, and yeah, I mean it, it was, you know, it was a serious dance we had to do and I think I luckily enough I was smart enough to know that it was you know, I could just say no. Right. You know, so he ended up giving me a water buffalo <laughs> which I then leased out to some guy, you know, some farmer. I mean, with no no thought of ever getting any from this. Like, right. we agreed, like, what equaled about two cents a week or something to this thing. <laughs> so somewhere in Southeast Asia, this guy owes me two cents a week since the 70s, which <laughs> compounded. Might be a lot of money, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> you might want to look into that. You know, I, I, I don't know how I'd track this guy down, but that was – so yeah, the that, water buffalo again, is like you know for for use as like a worker. They, they used worker it uh, like uh, yeah they plowed uh, the rice paddies with them. They uh, <laughs> um, they were uh, like a pack animal. They were uh, it was a big deal. Water buffaloes were yeah. And I mean the um, that, could be a lot that of was money. one of the things during the war. A lot of times the 
the guys flying heli the, the guys in the door gunners, especially in the helicopters, would get all cranked up and they want to kill something, so they blast water buffaloes, and then the uh, the psychops people would have to go and pay the farmers for the water buffalo that yeah were that were killed right. from the air because that was see yeah the you know, it, it becomes part of that. the you can't if you screw up the indigenous population you're going to have a problem and right. I, and that's why I think largely any war especially like in the Middle East and these places are largely unwinnable because if you have an indigenous population that is fully committed you can't beat them right because we win or we die either way we win I like to think I'm well read. I'm, yeah. Uh, this is another stranger. When I was a kid, I had some dyslexia. Okay. So, back then they believed that if they taught you how to speed read, that would help you dyslexia. Okay. And it did to a degree, except I can't spell my name <laughs> because I just substitute in there. But I right. can read it about two thousand words a minute. So yeah. I'm a voracious reader. Okay. I don't understand people. That don't read. Yeah. I mean, if I go anywhere, I have my Kindle. Oh, Kindle's the greatest thing since, yeah. you know, sliced bread. I have my Kindle <laughs> everywhere. Used to, I always carried books, but now I can carry 100 books with me. Right. You well, know, I, I, deal with or that. a magazine yeah. or something. I can't sit around and not have something to read. Right. You know, right. So There's so much to, to read. Yeah, I hear you. And I mean, I even, um, another strange story. I, uh, I've been an electrician for 31 years. Okay. Um in Los Angeles area, yeah, and I blew out my back. Okay, I was out on a hundred percent disability, so I couldn't. Yeah, I was collecting a pension. I was collecting disability. I mean, I was, I was, you know, out. I mean, I didn't. I could have just lied in my laid back and yeah, you know, rested on my laurels. Instead, I went back and got my degree. Wow. And I went back to school at 56, <laughs> which is not easy. But, yeah. you know, it, yeah. but being that I could read and then, you know, I could do this stuff. And, yeah. And this time I paid attention. <laughs> yeah, right? You uh, uh, take it for granted when you're younger. Well, when I, when I first went to school, I was a double I mation. Double I? Yeah, intoxication and intercourse. <laughs> Classes aren't bad, but those three, four, five-day labs, <laughs> some people come up. You know, some people called it a bender. I called it a lab. <laughs> <laughs> lab work. That's a good one. But uh, I'm sure there's so I went back, I got my degree there. in architecture, and now I'm, uh, and now I, uh, I'm actually designing fiber optic systems. Really? For uh, uh, a company, we're doing it for uh, CenturyLink because by a thing called Fifth Fiber to Home, supposedly by um, 2019, they're supposed to have fiber to every home for high speed internet. Oh, really? Instead of wires and all that? Does that yeah, just replace it, all that? Well, it actually just kind of, it, it's what they call lashing. It, it hangs on the, the existing wires. Okay. They just take fiber optic and they, they have a machine that just tapes it, kind of wires it to the other wires. Right. So we're designing all those systems now. And oh, wow. It's kind of a cool gig. Yeah, that sounds it's, like a uh, cool gig. Something different. I mean... Uh, yeah, I'm <laughs> definitely different. You know, and, and and this time I had a three nine seven GPA versus the first time, which I you know barely got by. So. Well, you had your uh, your military test that uh, well, you scored high on. <laughs> I just don't see how you can just give up on yeah. anything. You just it amazes me people that just 
you know, we'll lie down. And maybe that's something the military gave him is the ability to not lie down. Yeah, do you think that's true? I think, yeah, I think it may be a little tougher in a way, at least intellectually. Tougher or, or, or just willing to take chances and, and you know, go on beyond things. Because, I mean, I, you know, I try to be a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I... Uh, well, you saw a lot of things at a young age. I mean, I can't, I can't, you know, obviously that, that had to uh, impact your, you know, your worldview and your, your decisions moving forward from there. And then, you know, I, I had to, you know, I had some weird stuff when I got out, and, you know, I went through some weird incarnations and then I... How long were you in the military? I actually, a total of five years. Okay. Um, with the, with my stint that I wasn't. So I was that in for four. I joined for four, but I was on a, on a stint for there was a year that I wasn't. So, right, you know, and then. The and so was that your your last year, the year that? No, you no, weren't? no. I, that was like kind of about my third year, and then I came back, and then I I, I worked uh, did a little bit of training. I was a training officer, and I did I was a liaison at at a, at a communications school for a while, where I just had to just help guys get in and out that were coming for the airborne teams. So. So how did you? Um, you know, separate from the military. You know, I got out and, you know, I was kind of loose ends and I was just kind of being strange. And, and my last, I, I'd gotten married to my last year I was in the military and to a gal that turned out to be totally crazy. But um, uh. she brought me to California and uh, from there, we were together, and then we, you know, broke up shortly after we got. I got the Californian. Yeah. And then I met another, <clears throat> another gal that was a um, psychology major, and she kind of helped me to sort of figure out how to separate from this. Yeah. Um, but we did this thing where I took all my military stuff to a pier by Huntington Beach, and I dumped it off the pier. Oh, really? And she said, "Okay, that's done. Okay, yeah. Now, what's next?" And you, you got to do something else. Right. You so, got to close that chapter. So then I thought I wanted to be an actor. Yeah. How'd that go? So uh, so did that work? Did that work for you? That, it did to a degree. Stuff? It helped me to, you know, I could sort of separate it. I, you know, it, it was just like doing something. You needed something to. Some kind of closure. Close. I, I hate that word so much. Okay. Because never stuff never closes. It right. just no. I hear you. It gives you a lot. It allows you the ability to deal. It gave me the ability to deal or or to rationalize what I did. It it kind of lets you turn the page. Yeah, that's probably yeah. That I like that term much better than closure. Turning the page. I think that yeah. You know, there's so many of these pop words now. Closure. <laughs> da, 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 you know, Doctor Phil kind of <laughs> words. <laughs> Everyone's a pop psychologist. It just want to fall on my sword every time I hear that stuff. Yeah, you know, and, it, and people get silly. So right, right. Well, so. I do think it's important, though. For I mean, I would imagine for something like that, which I I don't know. I mean, again, I don't have that firsthand experience, but I don't understand. You know, I don't see how it's not traumatic being in that situation, regardless. You know, of the level, you know, the degree of what you went through. And and you know, it comes back once in a while. I yeah. mean, um. A few years ago, um, before I blew up my back, I was I was a big time skier. I love skiing. Yeah. And uh, I was up at Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they uh, I, I don't know. You know what an avalanche canyon is? Uh, 
the canyon? No, I don't cannon, know. avalanche cannon. Oh, cannon. They use when they, they use start them they use yeah they use cannon shells okay. uh, from a 105 howitzer or they have hand bombs. Oh, okay, that yeah. They throw and it's the the concussion makes the avalanche and they they do that in the mornings a lot of times at ski hills to make to try and make avalanches happen so they don't happen later in the day and then right um we were staying really close to the hill and they they started to they started firing the avalanche cannon off which sounded like a very much like a 105 howitzer like incoming rounds and i ended up pulling my girlfriend at the time off the bed onto the floor screaming incoming get down wow i've been laying on top of her and we're laying there and i go we're in wyoming Uh, okay yeah and she started giving me funny looks i go at least at least i tried to save you honey i pulled you (laughs) off the bed from the enemy and yeah you know because um that's a positive you know i didn't you know i thought of you first and and right it was was strange though it was it was just and once in a while, if I'm kind of in a, and you don't get so much in Colorado, but in LA, you'd hear helicopters. Right. You know, when I was in kind of like a half sort of either coming out of sleep or going to sleep in that kind of sort of in between REM sleep kind yeah. of stage. And trigger it. You know, you hear those things and it's like, what's coming, you know? Right. Because usually helicopters meant something was not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, when the gunships come in and, you know, and, uh, and they come over the horizon, and they, it was not the best of the. I don't know if you've ever seen Apocalypse Now, but they've got the. I did years ago. It's the the when they come out playing Flight of the Valkyries. Dun 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 I mean, that was when the shit was about to start. Yeah. Know, and, yeah. Well, know. yeah. I mean, I can't. I I mean, I, it's hard to imagine lo- losing that and not ha- having those sorts of you know events you know, trigger things. <laughs> Southeast Asia, I used to describe it sometimes. It was kind of like Disneyland with death. What I mean, you? there was some definitely some crazy rides. They were, you know. Yeah. I mean, you go rattling uh, you know, 200 miles an hour over the treetops in a helicopter. You know, you're. Uh, right. I mean, there was some, you know, some crazy stuff. And, you know, and you just. And we were young, dumb, and full of cum. You know, and we <laughs> thought we were. Right. You know, but we, that's the thing, though. It's like you got the that that's what you have on the on the guns, on the weapons. You yeah. know that sort of attitude going in. It's like you know, I I can I can relate to that. I can understand where that would come from, even without <laughs> t- the testosterone level of a man. But it's like you know, and how ha- how do you train kids to to balance that sort of adrenaline with you know making you don't making yeah, the that, right and decision? That's the problem they have, and I mean, yeah. and you never lose it. I mean, I have right. an I have um. M4 carving in the in my closet. Yeah, you know I still have weapons. Right. I still go to the range and I shoot. I and I still need to feel like I have that ability, that edge. I know I can defend myself if I have to. Right. I know. Do you feel like that's part of like the psychology of 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 like the recovery of it? I I think so. I think to a certain degree. And I mean, on occasion. Well, in a few weeks ago. We just just down and kind of where we're at now, down the, down the canyon here a little bit, you know. Um, yeah. I know we're sort of where we are right now. We're up in Evergreen, up in the in the mountains, in the beautiful area. And yeah, very beautiful. And we had a one of my uh, some new neighbors moved in, and they decided that they were going to set up a shooting range. Okay. Um, and 
while it's legal to some degree to do it, it's not wise because it is kind of residential. I mean, it, it, we're spread out naturally, but yeah. Um, so they started ripping off rounds on a Sunday night. Okay. Um, my next door neighbor was freaking out about it. I was tactical. I had my <laughs> weapons out. I was I was running patrol. I didn't know what was going on. I yeah. was I was back. In that oh, really? mode, I was patrolling. I was doing perimeter walks. Oh, so I, you didn't know what they were doing before? Uh, no, I they just I just heard rounds. Wow. I heard you know, maybe yeah. 20, 30 quick. It almost sounded like automatic weapons fire. Uh, it turned out Jeff Coach Sheriffs went over there and had a chat with them, and, and they they had a 22, and they were just squeezing off rounds really fast. Right. But right. it was not something you want to hear on a Sunday night. You're not yeah. expecting yeah. that. Um, my next door neighbor, we brought her over here, you know, and she was, you know, they were hunkered down, and you know, we're trying to figure out what's going on. Got the sheriff oh said, but I was, you know, I got the thing mounted with lights and stuff. I, I was tactical again. Yeah, I was. I don't blame you. I was 19 years old and back, right. ready to go to war, and, and I think it gives you a certain edge to a degree, and right in general in life because you know, you can push yourself. You know what you can do. That you can yeah. go as far as it takes to do what it takes. Yeah, I mean, you, you've seen a different, a, like an, a different version of reality. You know, those things just don't exist in our American life, you know, of, of having to be in, in those kinds of situations or even imagining, you know, what, what they would be like. And one of the things about airborne is um, one of the things they say, how far? And we had to yell all the way. Yeah. And that's what it is. How far? All the way. And that's what it, you know, you know, it gives you the, a certain feeling that you can do things. And, you know, good or bad, I mean, it it can screw you up. And, and, and Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, obviously and I mean, it's um, for a lot of people. And back then, PTSD wasn't as... Discussed. Well, it wasn't a diagnosis. So to speak. Well, I think yeah, the military spent a long time even denying it or blaming it on you know like mental fortitude. Well, yeah, I mean if you were World War World War One shell shock, yeah, you know, they called it shell shock, and, right? And guys that just couldn't deal. I mean that was one of the the first whole scale carnages of, of warfare, right? Um, but I mean, I, you know, I would almost argue that. Yeah, I mean, a human shouldn't shouldn't be equipped to deal with witnessing that sort of atrocity on an everyday basis. Well, they I mean, shouldn't, I, they shouldn't be. But then again, even when you yeah. do, you shouldn't be expected to just roll it, you know, shake it off. Right. Shake it yeah, off, man. Exactly. Yeah. I mean. Uh, right. I mean, that is one of the greatest disservices of all time to to come back and say oh you just you know you were just too weak to to be able yeah. to witness yeah. carnage <laughs> every single Deal day with it. come on man buck up man you know get yeah. over it get over it and um i mean that to me has got to be one of the biggest dualities obviously as and then, been discussed and then many added, times is coming back to real to regular life and having to and for our, for our war it was kind of sad because we weren't righteous yeah i mean there was you know, instance guys come get getting spit on, right? In, you know, in, yeah, wearing your uniform. You know, you didn't wear it around. I mean, now, uh, you know, I mean, it's it, it, a source of pride. It wasn't so much source of pride, and I mean, like even on airplanes now, guys, they'll yeah. get up seats to to vets, and they'll, right? You know, we weren't, we were the redheaded stepchilds. You yeah, know? you you weren't shown national pride or or, or gratitude. 
And, you know, and, and the war was not what it was. It was not as good a thing as it could have been. It was not what it was what the people were told. And, right. you know, this country was going through so many growing pains. You know, the civil rights movement. The, I mean, even in, in Southeast Asia, there was... that While they didn't, like in World War II, you know, separate the black and the white soldiers. Yeah. There's, they did it on their own to a certain degree. The soldiers the did? Bro- the brothers hung out with the brothers, you know, yeah. and there was, <clears throat> and, you know, the crackers hung out with the crackers, and then those of us in between just kind of, all right, you know, just kind of. Well, that was sort of a reflection of American life, right? Yeah, I mean, that's how, <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, and I, and I, I was kind of brought up being tolerant. You know, yeah. I had I had a very interesting mother. <laughs> really, <laughs> she. Um, well, that's good. She was a no bullshit lady. Yeah. You know, and she. Um, my mother had had a career before we were, um, before I was born. Okay. She danced for the Chicago Ballet. Oh wow. So I was growing up with a little bit of culture, so to speak. But in northern yeah. Illinois, so I mean, <laughs> it's not like in the middle of corn. I'm getting culture, but you know, right. she she taught me a lot of things, and and yeah, I would tell a funny story about her. She. Um, I was maybe 14, 13, 14, you know, that age when boys start getting interested in girls. Okay. And she was a no-bullshit lady. So she took me inside. She goes, I'm going to teach you to dance. <laughs> and she would teach, like, a little swing kind of dancing, kind of waltzy sort of stuff. Nice. Um, and she said, okay, here's the deal. You can play football. You can play baseball. You can do all this kind of stuff. And you might get girls. You learn how to dance, you're going to get laid. <laughs> now, this is from my mom. Yeah, like, she's looking out for you. She's telling me, and you know what? She was right. <laughs> she was very right because I met my wife. I was teaching country western dancing at a bar. Oh, really? And that's how we met. <laughs> so, I go. mean, I later ended up teaching country western dancing for a while. as one of my many yeah. kind of goopy side things to do. <laughs> you know, but yeah. kind of an expression of the, so the creative self. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, a little uh, tribute to your mom. You know, she uh, was an interesting lady, and she was an uncle shit lady. You know? Yeah, and that that's great. I that mean, made her neat. You know, to me, I mean, tolerant. You know, everybody liked her. I mean, all my friends liked her, and she yeah, she was, but she wouldn't take any shit. And I remember her maybe being about fifteen and flying to her, and she dropped me like a bad habit. I. <laughs> Oh, really? I was like a Mike Tyson shot from about her waist, and I went down. She said, "Don't you ever lie to me." And nowadays, you know, it's child abuse, you know. But no, yeah. she just—it's uh, yeah. taught me a very important lesson. You don't lie to your mom unless you want to get your ass kicked, right? Well, you know, and, I, and for good or bad, you know. Uh, uh, my wife—I'm very fortunate. You know, we've been um, right. We've been married uh, twenty years in July. Oh wow! And. Um, we met later, and I, I was 40, she was 30 when we met, and, okay. uh, you know, we don't have kids because we did, we made that choice. Yeah. Um, as far as I'm concerned, the species could die out, but, <laughs> and it would be yeah. probably better for the planet. But <laughs> probably. We have dogs instead. I heard the one barking earlier. Uh, they, right, uh, right. They're much, uh, they're much easier. Well, the planet and, might die out before us anyway. Well, uh, Given the recent cabinet appointments, that could be a very reasonable possibility. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. I'm. I. I wonder. Uh, we'll go off on a Trump rant here for a minute or two. Yeah, that um, sounds good. I wonder how 
someone who an oil industry executive should be put in the head of the EPA. Oh, God. I wonder how these decisions are made. Um, yeah, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any sort of logic behind them. They seem to be, uh, you know, based on reality show ratings, <laughs> the most outrageous person for each department has been nominated. You know, I, I mean, th- there's an old, uh, part of their their rant was they were going to drain the swamp. Yeah. But there's an old saying, when you're up to your ass in alligators, <laughs> it's hard to, re- hard to remember the original intent was to drain the swamp. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's kind of what Washington's got. And we've, and I can uh, appreciate some of Trump's people, the, the people they kind of voted for him because they wanted to change. I mean, we all. Right. I mean, we all wanted to change. I mean, they, they, yeah, I get that. Like government has gotten strange. Definitely. And, and we have the government I think we deserve as an American public. And we had the nominees that we probably deserved as an American public. But, you know, as, as we were saying before, I mean, it, it's, I do think I, I might have voted for him if he was the guy he thinks he is and claims to be, but he's a complete well, yeah. con. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, um, he's a pussy grabber if you <laughs> talk to him. I mean, yeah. you know, and this is a guy who cops that, who cops to abusing women. I mean, you know, and, right. and I don't understand how, how any women would have voted for him. But, oh, but that doesn't matter. It's really what he stands for. Well, isn't that core values of what you stand for? Right, right. And he doesn't have to mean anything he says. It doesn't matter if he means it or not. You know, like all of those sort of values are, you know, out the window because they want to change. I mean, even with Hillary and her stupid emails, I mean, he's now got his own private emails and his staff oh, yeah, has yeah, their yeah. own private emails. It's like he just... He well, but there's two Twitter. There's the POTUS Twitter account. And there's this Twitter, you know, and, and random... And his, insane yeah, he's thoughts got his Blackberry. He's got his own his own security force. And, you know, I mean, what is and, all and that? And it's just stuff? if you just keep people confused that that you know it, it's the classic yeah. uh, uh, like a magician. Yeah, you distract, you get work somewhere else while you do one other thing, and it, and he unpredictability. And That's what he lives. So, what do you think about all of this uh, talk about Russian interference in our election, and uh, you know? Putin, I am uh, Putin's choice. I mean, regardless, regardless of whether or not his interference affected our election. I mean, he obviously wanted Trump to be president. We don't. We I mean, talked. We talked a little bit earlier about overthrowing yeah. governments, right? And, and plots within plots and stuff like that. And that's you know the Russians have been good at this. The Soviets were good at this stuff. Um, so are you one of those people though? Like I know there's some people who say, well, America has done this. A lot, so we'll, you know, we just have to live with Russian interference if that's the well, case. Well, I mean, is, is that does true? Does the end justify the means? And that's what you have to decide. I mean, that's kind of that's been that was our foreign policy for a lot of years. The end, yeah, you know, if you do something for righteous cause, is it right? But yeah, you know, the Russians see their life as righteous. You know, they they see their cause as righteous. Right. Um, right. So do we and I, I think they got involved. I think they were heavily involved. I think they, um, the intelligence would, it, it was just too perfect timing when yeah. stuff was released. Yeah. Whenever Trump started having some, you know, as soon as he got dinged for that whole uh, pussy grabbing thing. Right. Suddenly there was a bunch of intel on, on emails again. There's more emails coming out. There was more. Right. Every time, you know, and 
Yeah. My qu- question on the whole thing is whether he's involved, whether he knows. Right. You know, uh, it's the old Watergate thing. Who knew and when did they know it? Yeah. You know, and I I don't know necessarily if he was totally involved, but I'm sure it's, there's something going on. Some of his people, I'm sure, know knew yeah. what was going on, and there's yeah. And now they're saying there might be a question where they have some some weird strange dishonor in something he did, and and. Yeah. Given Trump's track record, I, I could see you've done some, some squirrely stuff. Yeah. And I, um, it's plausible, for sure. And if I had to make a prediction, I'd say that they're, uh, corporate America is going to rape our environment. They're going to rape everything. And then Trump's going to get nailed on some kind of weird money irregularities, and he's going to get That's impeached. Wow. And then we're going to get a guy who believes that you can pray away gay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mike Pence is not much worse, but the the one good thing about Mike Pence is that I don't think we have to worry he's going to, you know, fly off the handle and start a nuclear war, which is, you know, maybe a small chance, but the fact that it's even a, a topic of conversation now for our you president know, there's a, is a little insane. There's a, there's an Air Force guy that carries a thing called the football. Yeah. And that's the uh, nuclear launch codes, and he follows the president around it. I, I just hope to God that the officer that they got in charge of doing that would be smart enough I hope to so. stop, you know, uh, Trump from doing something, you know, like off the, like a, like a, uh, like a 3am, tw- 3am <laughs> tweet right. to, uh, you know, launch some ICBMs. I mean, is that guy, is that guy allowed to disobey Trump? In theory, I mean, no. In theory, no. But there's another duality. As, there, a, as a human. As a human being, would he realize that this guy was doing something insane? Would he, you know, would right. he allow these launch codes to go out? Yeah. Would, um, yeah. I mean, um, I guess that's the question we all have to, we're all counting on that guy now. That would blind obedience of order. Every soldier is supposed to have a certain responsibility to say that is not a lawful order. Okay. So, I mean, that's, that's. That's but it, it, but if you stand up and say if you don't do something you're ordered to do and you say it was not a lawful order you better be righteous because otherwise it's treason and you're going to Leavenworth for the rest of your life. Right. You know, and so it's it's hard to do something like that. It's well, hard to say that. Oh, I can imagine. I mean, if you've been trained to follow orders and your your commander in chief is telling you to do something, yeah, I mean, but he, you know, is that treason? I mean, would that be? considered treason for trump i mean if he does order that and somebody says no i'm not going to do that for humanity i mean what what are the consequences for trump you know that's that i think that's when they realized that he was truly a megalomaniac and and, (laughs) and, you know and that i mean if that came out i mean it 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 would be and uh, truthfully i don't think it might not even ever come out if that ever happened they wouldn't tell us i don't think they i i mean the officer I mean, I'm sure there's somebody in the, you know, this officer is going to have, he's a pretty high-ranking guy, and, it, and right. he's a career officer. I mean, right. you know, it's part of Air Force Command. I mean, he's somebody that gets to hold the football that's not, you know, your average schmuck. You know, yeah. I mean, this is right. somebody who's probably gone for the Air Force Academy. He's a, somebody who's, who's on the career track to be a, a command officer. And, yeah. you know, this is, um, I mean, there's only one of them in the world that does this. I mean, the <laughs> right. guy's, you know, somebody trustworthy, and they're going to choose somebody who's trustworthy. And if he had to make that decision and say no, yeah, and he did make that decision and say no, the ensuing scandal of that would be insane for right. the military, you know, right. that he did say no. Yeah. So I don't think that would ever come out. Oh, okay. 
you know, I think that'd be, you know, they're, they're, they can cover stuff up still. I mean, there's stuff, right. that, there's stuff that goes down, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's like we, we, we never really hear about, like, assassination attempts. I mean, we hear about them after the fact, like, oh, they thwarted, you know, there might have been an assassination yeah. attempt or a few during Obama's time or something. Well, like, after I, Trump, I, well, it'll be well, like, well, well, there may okay, have been okay. a few attempts at nuclear holocaust, but we thwarted those. Yeah. Uh, my dog is going to go. Um, what's an assassination? Well, I mean, I, I mean people attempting to take Obama's life. Have oh yeah, but I mean, it, but on our level, what's the who's assassinated? Does it have to be somebody political to be considered uh, assassination? Is yeah. it any murder assassination? Yeah. Is any, yeah. you know, if we're taking down a village elder in Afghanistan with a drone strike? Yeah. If we're taking um, pro the problem with during Obama, some of the, the drone strike stuff is yeah. that guilt by association. Right. You know, if you're 16 Muslims in the same area, 16 male military-age Muslims in the same area or, or natives in the same area yeah. are plotting. You know, are, it's something, there's something wrong about it. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, given the, uh, given the tactics of terror, given the, the way that works, it could be, you know, yeah. but is that necessarily true? We don't know. Yeah, I mean... Uh, one of the things that I thought was inherently bad about some of the stuff they did is where they, I mean, these drones, they sit with two Hellfire missiles, which is a lot of, lot of explosive power, and we've probably all seen it. Um, yeah. That they would hold on, they could hold on station for a lot of hours. So they would kill somebody or kill whatever with a drone strike, Yeah. the one bad guy, and then Muslim law said they have to bury body within 24 hours uh, you know and they would hold on station and wait for the funeral yeah and then blast the funeral and uh, kill you know i mean and that was you know and i mean a lot of stuff like in muslim law and in jewish law it's based in like some kind of reality you know um burying the body quickly yeah because you want you know because of rot and all the you know the, right um not eat, and for jewish law not eating certain kind of foods you know, because at the time they, they couldn't be preserved well and, and stuff like, like pork trichinosis and stuff that we know now a lot of. Right. I mean, they were based in reality, you yeah. know. And these religious laws, they have some, you know, it makes some sense. Some religious laws make some sense. Some don't. Right, right. Um, so you're saying, so they would go back and drone the funeral. No, they didn't, they didn't even leave. They, they didn't have. They could hold on station for forty-eight hours with these drones. They could fly around in the same area because they're like little model airplanes. And then just and there's the two missiles. Based there's two on... missiles. They fire the first one, kill the first team, you know, kill the first bad guy they want to get, and yeah. then they would hold on station, and then they would wait for the funeral. They would launch on the funerals and kill. Um, Based yeah. on just the assumption that they're well, associates. I mean, then you know the bad guys. If the guy was indeed a bad guy, then all of his bad guy buddies are coming to his funeral. Right. So. But unfortunately, <clears throat> what is lovely called collateral damage. Right. There was also the bad guy's wife and his kids, and yeah, and then then it becomes a self-perpetuating evil because 
you know, right. you, you make more terrorists. That's how you right. make more you terrorists. Make more enemies. Yeah. So, so, right. So the thing is, I mean, yeah, so that's a duality, obviously. How do you make that decision, which, you know, is a questionable decision. And then it's like, then you have Trump who goes in and says, well, let's just go ahead and drone all their families and let's just be open and honest about it and make that part of the plan. I mean, obviously it's a bad idea because of, what you just said, or you know, they're going to create encouraging more our enemies. And, and, well, it's going to create more and more. You know, th that's, that's the whole. It's one of the sad things about any of this stuff. You know, it, it, it's it's a self perpetuating. Uh, yeah. And again, going back to being an indigenous population that's committed. Right. You know, are we involved in something that we can't take care of? America is at a juncture, and I'm I'm hoping that. The greater nature of our, our being is going to come out. I mean, right. it's, you know, it's that's what I'm hoping. So, what what are you what are your thoughts on you know where where are we headed? What's going to happen? I think if I had to make a prediction, I think more and more is going to come out that that Trump has um, bambled with a lot of people. Yeah, that he sold us all a bill of goods. And uh, sold to people that that really believe in bill of goods. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna self-destruct on some kind of financial thing. Yeah. Um, the fact that he didn't put his money into trust into blind trusts. The fact that he right. feels this need to control his to maintain control and power. That I think that's good. Might or probably will be his undoing. Yeah. I think before that happens, a lot of the people that that helped him get into office. A lot of the screwy people that he's instilling into cabinet positions are going to rape yeah. the country. Um, yeah. And it's going to get uglier and uglier. And But as it gets uglier, I think the liberals and the, and the millennials and people that from generations that have not cared about politics are going to start caring about politics because it's going to, yeah. The chickens are going to come home to roost. Yeah. And we're going to start, case. you know, people's real lives are going to be starting to get yeah. affected by what's going on. And and until I think that's when it comes home, when when, people, right. when, when it really starts happening that's to you. That's a very big point. I you agree. You know, and, and when when things start coming home, things are going to get tough. And there's, yeah. you know, we might be headed for depressions and we might be headed for some, I mean, yeah. there's definitely some hard times and some bumpy times coming from America and yeah it comes back to you know people in character I mean it, when that guy that's gonna jump on that hand grenade yeah when there's gonna become moments of decision and people are gonna start jumping on hand grenades and they're gonna start right you know the, the better nature of our being because yeah, it's going to be real. It's going to be, you know, and, and it's going to be, uh, and I've got a few hundred thousand rounds of ammunition and weapons, and I'm ready to hunker down, you know? I got canned goods, and we'll I'll just live up here in the mountains. And yeah, you're all set up here. Watch the, watch the world uh, disintegrate, you know? But um, I'm. That's uh, the way to go, probably. We need to, I think that's it's going to give Americans a sense of unity again, and it's going to give them a sense of direction, and, you know, if we can. People just realize that 
you know, that, that bipartisanship's bad and the craziness, that we got to get rid of the craziness. And we just yeah. got to say, we got to get our best and our brightest representing us again. Right. And there's going to be. just our richest. And there's going to, yeah, and there's going to be people rising out of this that are, that are going to be the best and brightest and, and right. are going to say, this is it. This is enough. Yeah. I think you're right. I think people need to realize that it's up to us. You know, I think for too long we've been sort of depending on our government, letting them take care of stuff and cruising along and being lethargic about it. And it's like, I think it's a wake up call in that, you know, we we are the government. We need to be the ones who are watching to make sure that it's, you know, running properly, not just letting, you know, these billionaires get in there and do whatever they feel like and not paying attention. And there was a, there was a film in the uh, let's say 70s, early 80s, a network with Albert Finney said, I'm oh, yeah. mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore. Right. And I think that's that's what I'm hoping is going to happen. Yeah. And if I, it doesn't, hey, I'm an old fart. I've got too much longer <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. You know, the decline of West, I may not live to see the total decline of Western civilization, but it's we're coming off close. Yeah, we're teetering on the brink. The beginning of it will be bad enough. So, yeah. So you've got medic, paratrooper, actor, electrician, electrician, uh, uh, psych ward, uh, architect. Uh, architect. I am a uh, Renaissance man, so to speak. You know, yeah. but you know, they say, uh, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Well, yeah. I figure if I never figure out what I want to be when I grow up, I'll never grow up, and I'll never grow old, and I'll never die. Oh, that and sounds so good. far, my theory has worked. I think you cannot disprove that theory. That, that's a uh, sort of tr- religious Trumpian kind of theory. If you can't right. disprove it, it's true. Right. Disprove it. It's I'm what you adopt believe. It. It's not what's real. It's what you believe is real. <laughs> yeah. I believe it's. Perception is yeah, reality. Yeah. Right. Put your hands on the radio and feel the power. I believe. <laughs> there you go. There's your next career a pastor. Um, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do that. I didn't think I'm a big enough con man, you know. <laughs> Well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Um, it's been uh, fun me too. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad Christine put us together. She's, yeah, me uh, too. This was great. She's Three a hours really neat fun. lady. She was my realtor that hooked us up here, and and right. um, it's neat. Um, sometimes you can put some people together. Maybe we'll chat again sometime. You yeah, know? yeah. Maybe this is wonderful. I'm around. You know, I'm around. Get my number. Right. I'm not going anywhere. I'm hunkered down in the mountains, me and the good old boys. <laughs> yeah, I might come up here and uh, hunker down with you and have yeah, our next yeah, conversation. We can we can do that during anytime. The, you know. During the uh, hard times. Hard times. If it it gets weird, you know. Yeah, we'll we'll have to have a follow-up. When the the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Hunter Thompson. (laughs) All right. I love it. All right. Well, thank you very much. And thank you uh, again to everyone listening. I very much appreciate it and uh, would love any feedback that anyone has. Please look for us on Facebook and Podbean and iTunes and Twitter at Audra Show and on my website, oddlock.com slash The Audra Show. And thank you so much. Uh, Hope to chat with you again soon.